Well, James, today we started off with one of my favorite so- subjects, uh, selling to cannabis dispensaries. I've, yeah. uh, yeah. I have been waiting for this industry to come up with a viable alternative for doing that. I mean, this, we're talking about a business that it's making the states hundreds of millions of dollars. Who can right. imagine how much it's making the store owners? Right, exactly. It's time for uh, payment processing to catch up a little bit there. And so uh, yeah. uh, very yeah. interesting. I learned some things, obviously not my area of expertise, uh, but something that I learned a lot about today. Then I go into the questions in the field and I talk about competing with Square and this idea of what does it really take to steal a merchant from Square and position them so that Square can never take them back. And right. uh, it's not it's it's really not uh, it's pretty you're going to agree with me when I tell you uh, it's just that probably a lot of you are not uh, doing it the way that I'm describing. So we dive into that and then Patty, uh, one of my favorite insiders reports, because one of my favorite things, kind of the culmination of years of conversation. So tell us about the insiders. About a lawsuit against Visa for its ambiguity and uh, get tough rules around surcharging and cash discounting. Yep. Um, this is something we have not heard the end of. I think it's going to be probably one of our most one of our more contentious issues this year yeah i think so i'm, I'm very excited to uh put as much weight as i can behind their effort and uh, they have a lot of work still to do to get the class action uh status and all that but uh, yeah. very interested to see how that all plays out for sure so yeah, for sure. Uh, with all that in mind uh glenn kaplan by the way not a sponsor or paid advertiser consultant or anything like that um so with that being said let's dive into this interview with glenn kaplan welcome to the merchant sales podcast Hey, everybody. Patty and I are here today with Glenn Kaplan. How are you doing today, Glenn? Doing great. Great to be here. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're going to talk today about the evolving payments landscape and specifically around the cannabis industry and some interesting things happening there. Um, before we dive into all of that, though, Glenn, I really want to get your story so you can share that with our audience. I know you have a long track record of being in this industry. So talk to us about how in the world you got into this crazy industry and what's kind of been your journey to this point. Yeah, sure. I got in the industry uh, in the 90s. So for those listening to this who have been in the business a long time and recall names like Harbridge and Cherry Payment and Peach Tree, I think it was, uh, you know, back in the very early days. And then uh, I started my own uh, merchant, you know, MSP in 2001 register with Visa MasterCard. And uh, previously, I was in the insurance business for a brief period, did fairly well. I just didn't enjoy personally that that industry and uh, uh, got introduced to this business and it was just my DNA all the way around. So yeah, that happens with a lot, lot of us, I think, you know, yes. so, so I know we wanted to talk about the cannabis in- industry and I know you've been involved in this sector for a while, processing sector, um, might be helpful to give our, our folks sort of a quick history lesson. Okay. You, you know, how the industry has evolved, uh, thus far, uh, how regulation is at a high level, pun intended, uh, the federal versus the state no levels. No intended there, right? <laughs> yeah, right. I had, I had to say it was intended. Um, but just sort of give us a sense in terms of, you know, CBD versus THC products, for example, if you could give us a little. Yeah. So, you know, the business, uh, well, let me, let me preface with this. So um, cannabis is one of our niches. Uh, we work with over 30 banks and financial institutions okay. domestically and internationally. We write uh, high risk of all sorts. And of course, we write low and medium risk businesses as well. But we have a lot of uh, competitors that refer business. We turn into friends, turn, you know, send business to us that uh-huh. they can't write. So we can kind of do all those things. And one of our niches is the cannabis space and CBD related merchants. Uh, and of course, you know, you touched on regulation and different things. 
it's fluid, right? It's changing constantly. You have to stay on the cutting edge because what was true two months ago may not necessarily be true today. There's different nuances with regulatory and laws and things. Um, The processors, we have uh, a handful of processors that we work with where we write, uh, where we place most of our cannabis-related businesses, dispensaries, CBD, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And they... Uh, cumulatively, the processors that we work with uh, are processing for over 70% of all the dispensaries in the country. So they're doing it right. Uh, they uh, you know, all have kind of attorneys on hand and making sure everything's done properly because there's a whole lot in this industry where folks have gotten in the business and then the merchants get shut off and then they get on TMF. Right. And it's really not their fault because it was the processor. So we're very careful to and we have worked with, uh, uh, you know, for years, the the real the best uh, in the industry as it relates to sure, sure. Uh, cannabis related businesses. So, yeah, I mean, it's like any businesses. There's you know live by nights, and there's some you know people who've been around for a long time and and do things right. But it is the industry is kind of a broad topic. So maybe we should break it down a little bit, um, like maybe some of the various merchant types I'm, I'm, and how that is viewed in terms of payment processing. Absolutely. So, I mean, with cannabis-related businesses or CBD, you have an array of uh, different ways uh, merchants are going to take uh, uh, card payments. And it is, you know, mobile, walking into a, a, a local retail dispensary, for example, or a CBD store. Um, hosted pages uh, that can be set up. So there's a variety of different ways that uh, uh, merchants can can take payments as far as uh, cannabis-related. And then we have a handful, I guess we'll probably get into this during our discussion, but a handful of different payment solutions uh, for cannabis. We, we have full support um, from loans to payment accounts and, and a variety of other things. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of full service related to cannabis. And we've been hot and heavy uh, helping cannabis related merchants for uh, about three and a half years. And uh, the processors we work with have, you know, and it, my ISO has been around since 2001, but as far as the niche of cannabis. And uh, so we have, a, like I said, we have a handful of processors we work with where we place our uh, merchants with. And it, the business is growing, as you know, just, dramatically like 30 percent year over year this business so it's it's a great great business to be in what why did you uh why did you get into the cannabis industry you mentioned like it was three three and a half years ago whatever when you get into it what what kind of was there a change in the market that prompted you to dive in i'm not much of the expert in this area so i'm kind of curious if there was a shift or you just found it or why'd you get in then yeah so i we have a network we get 95 percent of our business from referral partners family offices associations endorse us uh, other ISOs, banks, et cetera, that refer. And one of our family offices that sent a, a large account over to us, uh, they were talking about uh, a multi-location dispensary uh, merchant. And we started discussing. And then when I really delved down into it, it was just a no-brainer for me to uh, have our company, you know, uh, uh, really, you know, full comprehensive uh, research, full comprehensive solutions for this industry because it's just right. uh, an incredible industry and growing dramatically. And that's really what was the precipice. And I just started diving in and realized, wow, we need to set up some fantastic relationships uh, so we can help these merchants. 
So because of the growth uh, of this industry. So we wanted to make sure we had those solutions in place. So it was really one referral partner uh, who sent up some business and then that got us to kind of dive into uh, all the particulars. Hmm. Um, I know we, we mentioned this briefly um, just before the, um, the podcast began, but if you could just explain what is a certificate of analysis and why is it important to setting up a payment processing account? Yeah, so most of the, so for cannabis-related uh, businesses, the dispensaries, et cetera, it's a certificate that is uh, the merchant receives uh, when they describe their different products and services, and it really delineates down into the real being, you know, the specific ingredients of the different products and services right. they're selling. And that certificate kind of okays uh, its legit product and, gotcha. and so then you can therefore provide payment services to them if they have that exactly are there other different levels that uh constitute different levels of you know risk or is it just this line in the sand of like if it's, if it's above this level it's illegal or it's not legit and if it's below this level then it's fine like is that how, how does that work yeah as far as there's the 0.03 percent thc you know under this margin you can see uh there can be uh you know, embryonic, uh, small amounts of uh, THC, which is under the law where you see stores that will sell this just kind of over the counter. Right. And, uh, and we, you know, of course we have many solutions for that, uh, but many uh, merchant service providers and agents have those kind of um, solutions for under, but it's really the dispensaries and the ones selling where they're selling products that are over that 0.03. So THC and different, um, uh, cannabis related products where they they have a more of a, a tough time getting an account or they're just not aware of the oh, solutions yeah. out there. I mean, I, I think that's definitely the case. And that's why we have people coming along with solutions like, you know, cashless ATMs or, you know, I was in a dispensary the other day, a very, I thought it was a small one because I live in a small town. They had three ATMs in there. And there were people at all three of them, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, people, if you just went down the store to sh down the street to sheets, it would be free. But, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I mean, there's a lot of need in there and a lot of people don't understand how to address that need, at least people in the cannabis industry. And there's a lot of risk based with uh, right. having an ATM machine. Now we do serve, we have ATMs that we'll place in, uh, uh, in dispensaries and we have and do, but we kind of uh, try to pull them away from that because that just tells, you know, bad actors. Tells you have the a crooks bunch of cash. The, right. People with yeah. a bunch of cash. You know, so you see thing. something. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, I, think, the thing I was going to say, it's interesting to me because like I, uh, between the three of us, I'm definitely the novice in this in this area. So like, Glenn, can you just explain at a real high level to our audience for those that like me who don't have this knowledge? Like what what is it about? you know, I'm walking into a dispensary, it's physical location business, right? And, and, you know, I've done some research on it, but like, why is that high risk? Why are these businesses so hard to place? Like, what's, what's the deal? And, and do you see that like changing, you know, like, what's, tell us more about kind of the, the big picture of it, you know? Yeah, it's really the juxtaposition between the federal laws and the respective state laws. And each state is different. And somehow, uh, it's, it's legal recreational. And the other one is it's medical only. Another one doesn't. And, and it's uh, also it's the just, associations as they relate to those laws. I mean, a hundred percent, you know, yeah. it, it could be legal in, 
in a state that, you know, maybe the local ATM networks don't have a problem processing for, but a, a Visa or a MasterCard acquiring bank couldn't because of the rules that are set up by Visa and so and, and so what you guys so what you're saying though as far as from a payment processing perspective the reason they're hard to place is what the fact that it's hard to find a bank that'll take it from a reputational perspective or from a compliance perspective or like what's what's making it hard to place from a payment processing perspective yeah i mean one is most banks just and processors just don't want anything to do with it okay and then you have and i don't consider it a very risky you know, business right. from, type, from a financial perspective, simple. it doesn't seem like there's a lot of financial risk, at least to me. There's right. a risk but, in that because there's so much cash and there's so much product that people would want. There's a risk to the owner of bird, right? But not to the not to the sponsor, but bank. not to the no. Yeah. Well, it can be reputationally where they're not. Yeah. You know, some have dab dabbled in it and don't really understand all the ins and outs from A to Z related to, and they don't stay on the cutting edge of what's going on in the industry. So, what was you know, appropriate two months ago may not be appropriate. And you have to have processors who are really embedded in that space and have said, you know, we want to understand this and we want to be able to underwrite these, but really know to do things as far as, you know, all of the legal literature and the TNCs and how it's approached and the product or the service itself is, you know, here's one thing. There's, there's many things, but not many people realize that there's a couple debit networks that are owned in part by MasterCard. Mm -hmm. So what happens is you have some processors who have dabbled. I'm not going to mention any names. We've had some recent stuff with some big, uh, a couple big processors, but it, they just weren't embedded in the space enough to understand, you know, all of the kind of saw the money on the table, but they just didn't do things correctly, whether I'm not saying it was purposeful, but they just didn't realize. Right. But back to uh, a couple debit networks that are owned in part by MasterCard, what happens is some of these cashless ATM solutions that have been recently turned off, and then there's been some uh, news feed where people think, oh, you can't do cashless ATM. No, you can do cashless ATM as long as you're doing it correctly. Right. Um, so what happened is they uh, uh, were running the the, the uh, uh, debit transaction with the Visa, let's say, check card or debit card or MasterCard, mm -hmm. and it was run through one of the debit so it's not it's not touching visa mastercard per se but at the same time mm -hmm. mastercard is not comfortable with that because it's still right. it's still you know because it's just the industry right now we just need more clarity and yeah. hopefully yeah. we'll get that in the next year or two but um you have to have processors that you know they're a plus rated processors and banks and they have complete departments and uh, folks that done. handle these kinds of businesses and know how know what they're doing and that's right you know that's who we work with so tell me though glenn because i had heard at one point somebody in the business told me that they were told by visa or mastercard <laughs> that if the if the debit card has a visa or a mastercard logo on it then it's even if it goes through a regional network it's still considered a visa or a mastercard card and therefore they uh, were misinformed I'm yeah, because uh, the you know the largest dispensaries in the country uh, are using. Yeah, the one I go to uses it right now. I mean, I, yeah. I asked them, and they said, "No, our processor told us that this is totally legit." I'm like, "Okay." Yeah, it's really who you talk to, right? And right. people, there's all sorts of stuff, you know. Until this gets really solidified in this industry, and with all, all the fluidity of the changes every month, and everything gets kind of concrete and clear. Mm -hmm. Um, there's going to be all these kinds of talk 
here and there. So, I mean, the only objection we ever get when we talk to a merchant is, you know, is this legitimate? Because right. I've heard it's, you know, you can't do this. And right. then we give them some references and, a, you know, a, a couple of our multi-local, you know, big dispensaries and they've been processing for years and years. Right. So once they get that information, then they feel comfortable and, you know. So basically what you're saying is, is there, you know, you do have solutions where if somebody has a, you know, cannabis dispensary and, you know, they meet the, whatever the criteria is, they can process these transactions using these cards, but there, there are some, some things where we got to be careful about what, what debit network we're going to run over. And a lot of that kind of idiosyncrasy or, or ex right. expertise type stuff that we have to be mindful of. Is that what you're saying, Glenn? Absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So we're real. And, and our processors that we work with, the only ones we work with are, like I said, they cumulatively, they they're processing it. for most of the dispensaries and they understand it. Uh, right. Everything's, you know, done yeah. correctly, done right. right. Okay. Cool. Yeah. They have the processes and procedures in place for. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so let's make this practical. So if I'm a, you know, an agent, or maybe I'm a software company looking to get into the space or whatever it is. And, um, I go out and I, I am, you know, I want to go after uh, physical location dispensaries. Glenn, give us a little flavor of like, what do you offer? What are the solutions that you have to offer? Um, what's the kind of pitch to that, you know, merchant? Yeah. So it's really consultive, right? We talk to them. What are you looking for? And have a conversation because we have a handful of solutions and I can just, let me tell you what those are real quick and then we can yeah, delineate, sure. you know, to kind of answer that. So we have point of banking, cashless ATM certified solutions. Uh, we have a credit card program, uh, which is backed by a public company we're, we're contracted with that uh, a, a couple of the, you know, uh, those listening may know, you know, some of these companies, I don't want to necessarily mention them, but the two of the largest in the nation, they do over a billion dollars um, in processing. Both of them are one's close to a billion. The other is over a billion. And they've been using this credit card uh, wallet program, which is a way to accept credit uh, credit card uh, using blockchain. And mm -hmm. it's a closed loop transaction. So you're familiar. Sure. Yep. Patty, that. And, yeah. It's cool. Yep. And then. And they, they use that and they usually will have a cashless ATM uh, simultaneously. So two accounts. Mm -hmm. So they'll run some with cashless ATM, some with the credit card. So that's second. We also have a Venmo Zelle type uh, solution, which uh -huh. is really fantastic. And, you know, we can delineate into these different things uh, uh, with those listening who can contact me or on this call or another call, another podcast. But it's a pretty tremendous solution. It's very simple. We set them up, we can brand it, and it literally functions uh, behind the scenes identical to a Venmo. And so that's another uh, That's one I've been that waiting for, This because that seems to be perfectly so suited for this particular. It's so perfect. It's yeah. so perfect. Yeah. Well, I love, and I mean, it's, been a, it's interesting to me, Glenn, because like the closed loop thing is just such a great idea in general. You know what I mean? It's being used in so many different ways in different mm -hmm. industries right now. That yeah, I mean that seems like such a natural fit for this industry, especially when you have you know motivated buyers and they're yeah. probably more more likely than others to say, hey, look, if you want a convenient way to pay, you're going to use our card or you use our app. Right. I mean, right. I imagine that it's, it wouldn't be that difficult to get the consumer to adopt that method of payment. Yeah, it's been a really exciting service that we've added. Uh, it's particularly for different industry types, other kind of high risk stuff that we do, um, in gaming and just different stuff and international. Oh, right blockchain and crypto and all that. But as far as cannabis and CBD, it's a 
it's a fantastic solution sure. as well. Uh, and then we have full service. Uh, we have uh, two uh, contracts with two uh, financial institutions who, uh, with a simple online app uh, that we created kind of on the front end for this. Uh, merchants go there and particularly for, for dispensaries, they can apply for uh, startup capital, especially expansion nice, capital, nice. and get an answer in 48 hours with three different programs to choose from. They pick ABC and uh, it's done. It's very simple. Uh, and, you know, and I want to mention too, it, it, most all of our solutions are, we're, I'm very much into automation and making things simple and sure. tracked and easy and, and efficient. So like the point of banking service we have in the cashless ATM and the credit card wallet program and the um, we have a gift card closed loop program I forgot to mention sure. as well and the Venmo equivalent that they can brand and different things. We have an online app. It's just so simple. So our partners will either with their affiliate link or referral partner link or they'll just email a few bits of information. And if they need us to contact a merchant, we do explain everything to them. But as far as the boarding process, mm -hmm. we don't charge anything to set folks up and they go to a link, they put in a few bits of information, then they receive a DocuSign, they sign it. Uh, within 48 hours, generally, it's approved, it's activated, the terminal's programmed and FedExed overnight, it's plug and play. Um, Sweet. And, and for those listening that may not be aware of how generally with the, the dispensary payments work, uh, it's not exactly, but to give you an idea, it's kind of like uh, 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 where in dual pricing for a merchant where you're kind of passing on the fee to each customer. Right. It's similar within the, it, this industry. So right. in essence, the merchant doesn't have to pay any fees. Right. They eliminated their security risk by getting rid of, if they want to getting rid of cash on hand um, because there's lots of, you know, I'm, it, the news and this people just break into dispensaries. People are being so killed and everything. Yeah. So that eliminates it. There's no, uh, and you know, it's a, just a very simple boarding process. So it's all online. It's all tracked. It's all simple. It's a simple service to explain to the merchant. And we've made it a no brainer. It's going to make them obviously a bunch more money. It doesn't mm -hmm. cost anything. It's all mm -hmm. online. There's no paperwork. It's just yeah, so. That's cool. So I guess one other thing to touch on here is let's talk for a minute about um, a merchant who wants to sell these products online. Um, now, does that, you know, are there a different set of solutions or maybe an adapt adaptation of what you have now? And also maybe you can help our listeners understand, does that, does that make the, the merchant like a higher risk merchant as it, as it does with traditional processing? So maybe talk about that a little bit. Maybe not higher risk, but you know, there's more for them to know to make sure they're following everything correctly. Sure. Okay. And it, that, that question is, uh, is merchant dependent, uh, depending on what they're doing, how they're doing the merchant right. themselves, because we can set up posted, uh, pages for them. And, you know, in some of the solutions I mentioned, like we have five, six solutions for, for dispensaries kind of went through that, that category. Um, there's a couple of those solutions where they can set up a hosted page and they can capture the card and then, uh, they they take a mobile terminal with them, deliver, like if it's a delivery. Mm -hmm. And then once it's delivered, then the transaction goes through. But if it's something where they're looking to take the transaction before, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're delivering the product to the customer, then typically that Venmo equivalent 
uh, solution I told you about is going to be most appropriate for that. So that's why we have just kind of all the different solutions because some dispensaries just need cashless yeah. ATM. It's going to be the best for them. Some need cashless ATM and credit card. And that credit card program, it does not need, a. I forgot to mention, these are regular credit cards. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cashless ATM, it's the pin debit. They have to put their code at their four digit, but this is different. And again, anyone listening that wants to reach out, I can kind of delineate and, and give the specifics. But basically with the uh, card program, you can take regular Visa, regular MasterCard, regular Discover, regular American Express. And the way it works, again, I go into detail why it's, uh, what kind of solution it is, and it checks off everything uh, that needs to be done according to rules and regulations. So, but we can, we can set up to your question, we can set those up. It doesn't make it more risk. Uh, It just means that the merchant may need an additional product uh, to be, they can't, they can't run the, you know, the credit card program or the the point of banking mm-hmm. uh, with that scenario. But that's why we have that other solution so they can. Right. Right. Okay. right. Gotcha. Well, so my last question, let's zoom out and we'll forget about the cannabis industry for a moment. And I know that, you know, you're involved in so many other things. Obviously, you're you know 30 years in the payments industry. Um, you know, we, none of us has a crystal ball, but let's say that you did. And you're looking into the next like three, five, 10 years in the payment space. Um what do you see? What are the, what is the, you know, give us the short answer of like, you know, top trend or what are you seeing that's interesting to you as you see this evolution continue in our industry? Outside of cannabis, outside oh, just, of. It could be cannabis, just whatever, whatever's interesting to you right now in payments. I think what's right. Re- there's so many things. There's yeah. just that we are in the most transformative yeah. uh, time in my opinion, mm-hmm. in payments in the world and so many different things, economic system and currency and just, there's so many things changing uh with blockchain and so one of the things that really excites me and and uh, we've been working on for a couple years to be able to capture uh what's happening and be able to when when as the change is taking place have the solutions for those merchants and that is uh on-ramp off-ramp uh technologies whereby uh we can embed payments uh into let's say there's an international metaverse company and they're uh, gaming and they're uh, buying tokens and i'll give you a real world example there's one we're working on and we're co-branding they process about 10 million dollars a month and but they have tremendous limitations on who they take payment from and how it's done so let me give you an example let's say there's somebody in uh singapore and they want to use singaporean dollars and they want to purchase tokens or they want to purchase something. Basically, an on-ramp, off-ramp system is the ability for anyone around the world uh, who is to purchase from that merchant's uh, store or services in the gaming example I gave, where they can pay in any of their respective fiat currency, uh, whether, like I said, you know, whether it's uh, the British pound or whatever, and then they can buy in whatever currency they want and they can receive money back in whatever, I mean, within limits, but not every fiat currency in the, right, in the world, but the ones that are uh, the legitimate ones. So they can purchase in whatever fiat or purchase in whatever legitimate crypto. There's probably about 20, 30, 40 crypto that are really legitimate with major utility backed by billion dollar companies. Right. So they can purchase in whatever fiat or whatever crypto and then when they receive money back, they can have it in a different fiat, you know, US dollar or sure. um, Bitcoin or XRP or wow. that kind of thing. And it's and it's all kind of like this. 
and we embed it's pretty significant and that's in my opinion uh i think that's this is one of the most transformative things and so what's happening yeah. is merchants are going from being able to accept payments from like say it's a u.s business from u.s right. cardholders and some international you know how that can be segmented as higher risk and then there, there's a non-qualified fee this is different and but they have limited um customers because it's only in the u.s so what this is doing is opening up the world yeah, yeah. So anybody I mean, can purchase anybody. Mm -hmm. with whatever they want just with their phone and the i mean there's africa is is up and coming i mean we're gonna see okay. incredible like a level playing field and people be mm -hmm. able to have global reach of customers all around the world and not have to have any expense they just need their phone and right. this is uh, a big change so what we've done is we've contracted with multiple uh international financial institutions uh who are embedded in this space and we're able to capture so when uh you know we have a referral partner or a rep that refers business or an iso or whomever or a merchant calls us directly there this is going to become more common and it is every single day and i yeah. i could see in like a year from now literally james and patty like uh, so quickly things are doubling and multiplying it's just kind of yeah. incredible right where right. you know we're we have these services where we're able to capture this business to 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 give these services to these merchants and uh you know we want to be payments for blockchain payments for metaverse and that's where so much is going and that's yeah. what a lot is changing in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. really interesting. Yeah. Well, everybody, again, that's uh, Glenn Kaplan. So CEO at charge today, uh, Glenn, before we let you go, uh, if somebody wants to learn more, they want to contact you or your company, where would you send them? Yeah. Just go to charge today, today.com. And, but if you want to email me, my email is simple. Glenn G L E N at charge today.com. Awesome. Excellent. Glenn, thank you so much for your time and sharing your expertise with us. Really appreciate it. You got really, it. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Really enjoyed it, Glenn. Thank you. Thanks, Patty. Good seeing you again. So, Patty, this episode of the Merchant Sales Podcast is brought to you by Nativia and specifically Nativia Banking. So, yes. um, you know, I talk in this episode about the idea of, you know, verticalization of other mm -hmm. services, not just payments. And we're going right. to see that same thing with banking. And I talked about yes, that a little bit. Yeah. So I think, you know, this idea of other services that are going to come in, we have to remember that the, you know, the, the wheel or the, you know, the, the main center of all of this moving forward is going to be vertical specific software solutions. Right. Um, and so when we think about things like payment processing, we got to start thinking more broadly about banking and other financial services. Yeah. Financial services, you know, payment processing is just one piece one. of financial services and, and, uh, you know, we need to have a bigger chunk of that. We do. So if you want to learn more about that, head over to nativia.com slash banking. Uh, you could also head over to nativia.com slash ISO. It's ISO. Uh, just to learn more about their ISO program, how you can sell banking services to your clients and make money. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard.
So, Patty, today I want to talk about. Uh, I was going to entitle it "How to Compete with Square," but I think that's the wrong. You know, that's not that's not really uh, intense enough. I almost feel like it's how to right? destroy Square in a particular version. I have a Square <laughs> kind of thing going on my uh, on oh, mine too. So the, this will be a Square right. day. Oh, well, there you go. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. So I had this really interesting thought, Patty. Um, and and I'm going to share. I think uh, either next week or maybe the week before this airs, I'm going to have my whole 2024 prediction thing. But. Um, you know, I was thinking about something interesting over the holidays. So I talk a lot about CC storage on the podcast. You know, it's an ISV that I own and we serve self-storage property owners. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, for a self-storage property owner, right, we have, you know, a site map with a, a layout of their property, what it would look like from the sky. You know, we have very specific functionality around leases. Uh, we have an integration with gates. So like when you go, you, the gate has to open in order to get into the right. property. Um, right. There's a certain kind of insurance that has to be integrated in for, um, you know, right, for for uh, uh, people who want to insure the contents of their unit. So I could sure, go on and on, sure. right? Mm -hmm. All these different specific things. So here's the interesting question that I posed to my team, and that was this. Are we going to, is that company going to steal customers from Square? Yes. We do it all the time, right? They're currently using a little swiper on their phone, small, small self-storage property. Our software is you know, basically free. And so are we stealing people from Square? Yes, we do it every day. But here is the question I had. Is Square ever going to steal a customer from us? No. I don't think so. It's never going to happen. Like, no. why on earth? Like, Square doesn't have a sitemap. They don't have a gate integration. Mm -hmm. They don't have this special integration with the kind of all they have is right? that little dongle thing, pretty right. much, right? No, but I mean, I mean, really, they have a lot now. When you think about it, as far as their general point of sale solution, well, yeah, they do have loans and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, they have too. all these things. Right. But what what really kind of hit me in 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 a way that it hadn't hit me before was just the danger that even Square is in when you think about verticalization. And when I look at a company like building an ISV and I'm like, wow, this is nuts. Like think about in three years, we're going to have our own, I'm sure probably before that we'll have CC storage banking. So it'll be like, sure. if you have a self-storage property, you're going to have your bank account so that your transactions can go right into it. And we'll have a, a, an integration with a bank where we'll be doing lending. You know, you're going to go buy your next self-storage property. Well, we have banking set up where you can uh, borrow the money for that because we would have a specialized integration where there's a bank who specifically knows, hey, if you get a deal from us, it's to buy a self-storage property. So we have all the right questions to ask. Square Capital isn't going to compete with that. They're not going to have a specialized way to borrow money to do a self-storage property. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. what what really hit me is this, Patty, you know, that that scenario I just described, every vertical in the country is going to experience the shift over the next decade. Right. And there's going to be a software that Square can't compete with in that vertical because, mm -hmm. you know, now, again, does that mean everybody's going to go to a vertical specific solution? No, of course not. It's a things move slowly. But I think in 10 years, you know, I really believe that the companies like Square and, and many others are really going to be more of a platform on which software companies can build. And, and the challenge, you know, vertical specific software companies, but the challenge there is going to be. You know, those vertical specific software companies, they're going to want to make money from the payment processing. And mm -hmm. so um, it's something I've been thinking about a lot. And I think that, you know, this idea of, you know, you go out in the field, and you're like, how do I compete with Square? Well, it's not about the processing. If you want to compete with Square, ironically, it's about the features. And 
if in your mind you're thinking to yourself, James, you got to be kidding me. We're trying to catch up to Square. Like we don't, we're not even offering the features that Square is offering. That should be a huge red flag to you. Red flag. And it should be, wait a second. You know, I, you know, it's funny, right before this podcast interview, Patty, uh, I talked for a few minutes to a 22 year old college student who just got into the industry, reached out to me, and I was like, oh, this would be fun. So I talked to him for a few minutes. And, you know, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm in college, I'm just getting into payments. What should I do? And I was like, that's easy. Pick an industry, a vertical that you like, learn everything you can about it, read industry publications, and then find the right solution for them with integrated payments become the expert at that vertical. And maybe in the next 10 years, you'll pick up one or two more verticals. You know, that's what you do right now yes. to get into payments. And the challenge right. is going to be for those that are already in payments, right? How do they make this transition uh, to a focus on specific verticals? But anyway, all that to say, the way you compete with Square and really destroy them in terms of a vertical is going to be providing features and integrations that are specific to a vertical that Square does not have. That is, in my opinion, the best way and really the only way to compete with companies like Square. So I think they're maybe not in quite the uh, unattainable position that we think. It's just we're thinking of it in terms of how do we compete with processing, and that's the wrong way to compete. You compete with vertical-specific uh, features and solutions. Yeah, excellent idea. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. So uh, Visa has found itself on the receiving end, and I know, James, you and I have spoken about this before, um, but Visa's found itself on the receiving end of a legal challenge to its surcharging and cash discounting rules. Yes. Uh, MyCamp Solutions, an Arizona-based financial technology firm and a leading ISO, filed a class action suit against Visa in U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California on behalf of itself and, and other ISOs that are hamstrung by difficult-to-follow regulations and the penalties levied around surcharging and cash discounting. Um, the complaint alleges that visa actions to stamp out surcharging and cash discounting have been anti-competitive and allowed the company to gain a monopoly yeah. in the payment space. You yeah, know, as they, we know, go ahead. No, I was just going to say a little, little teaser there. So we have, um, you know, James Huber, uh, right. global legal law firm. They're the ones who filed this on behalf. And then, Micah, who is the president at MyCam, both of them I know really well. And so uh, I believe I've been in in contact, but I believe we're going to be able to get both of them on a uh, episode in the near future to really discuss this. In, in Excellent. More depth. Yeah. I, so, I spoke yeah. with James, James after he filed this. We had a sort okay. of a back and forth. Yep. We didn't get to speak a long time so because I have a bunch more questions I'd love to ask. So yeah, sure. Yep. We will definitely get to that. But, you know, as we know, cash discounting and surcharging have not set well with Visa. You know, earlier this year, Visa lowered the cap on permissible credit card surcharging from 4% to 3%, which, of course, is lower than permissible surcharges in some states and can be lower than the all-in cost of processing, you know. Um, right. Visa's also gone after dual pricing merchants dispatching, quote, secret shoppers to identify those that don't abide by Visa rules such as the way the, the prices are displayed levying, and levying fines on those that don't do it right. Right. Um, yeah. And I think it's interesting. The law 
for law uh, suit licensees to criminal penalties. And I think there's a lot to be said for that, you know? Yeah. In fact, here it said, uh, here's a quote, visas used of paid employees, or as Visa has coined them, secret shoppers, to audit merchants and enforce its surcharge rules is akin to utilizing privately paid police officers to effectuate its goal of continuing to assess quasi-criminal penalties on ISOs. Yeah. I thought that yeah. was pretty good. Then it goes, it well, you know, this yeah, is ridiculous. I, you know, we've all said, we've talked about this before that, yeah. you know, what is non-compliance? I mean, you know, it's it, the, the rules are, are constantly changing and confusing yeah. um, in yeah. terms of, uh, you know, how it can, uh, <laughs> you know, how do you show that, it, you know, a consumer, how something is being charged? I, I saw one example, and I believe it was in the lawsuit that said, Everybody should do it the way gas stations do it, but gas stations don't do it that way inside. Right, right. Well, right? And, and well, and the other thing too is obviously that's ridiculous assertion, right? Because um, gas stations are different than other business types. Like, yeah, that's, they are. You know that I mean, and it, and and you know, I had a com I had a long conversation uh, with a reporter, a journalist from uh, a publication uh, yesterday about this because, you know, at the end of the day, Patty, it's you know. This is like I love what this the suit talks about because it, this is these are private companies trying yes. to enforce rules on the private companies. If, right. if a private company believes that another private company has violated their contractual agreement, you go to court. Right. You don't send your enforcement, you know, your private, you know, enforcement enforcement agency out. Like right? no, it's that you're not a government agency, and I think that. Um, as much as I admire what Visa and MasterCard have accomplished in a lot of areas, I think in this particular area, I think maybe they've gotten a little out of control here and and we're now arbitrarily in, enforcing, you know, rules around free speech and things of that nature. Um, this belongs with the government. This does not belong with a private company. We've stepped right. way, you know, and it's it's like a, a they've stepped thing. way far out on this one. And yeah, and you know, and one of the things, these fines, as the as the my camp to um lawsuit points out. Most of these fines are so draconian that the average merchant can't pay them. So right. the ISO's paying them and then yep. you know they don't want the negative they don't want the negative PR of you know of passing not. it on to a merchant, right? And no. um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one, Patty. Hey, I mean, I, I you know, well, anyway, I'm sure you have more on it, but it's I it's just have one one other example I wanted yeah. to use. They they you in the press release discussing this, um, James and his and his crew related the story of an Arizona merchant uh that was a client of my camp. They tried to recoup their card fees to fund after school programs for underprivileged kids. Visa claimed the merchant failed to comply with its rule for rules for dual pricing and fined mine camp. $70,000 for the infraction. Now, when my camp appealed the fine, Visa allegedly initiated secret shopper visits to more than 1,800 of my camp's clients. Yep. That's like, yep. Yeah. And I mean, that's I, draconian. I, I'm sorry. Well, well, and, and again, you know, it, to give a little timeline here, Patty, right? Um, I think most of in the industry can remember us talking about this. Uh, alert that came out quite a while back uh, mm -hmm. over, over a year ago of, hey, if you have any merchants that are doing any of these programs, the sponsor bank, they said, you have to submit that information to be right. some requirement. And so everybody in the industry kind of just bowed to that. and was like, okay, sure. Here's our list of all of our merchant locations and which ones are doing which programs, right? Um, 
And I think there was obviously a, a belief there that, hey, this isn't going to be used, you know, ill intent or something yeah, like that. Right? Not mm -hmm. the case. Uh, Visa really, at least the, the you know, it appears. It appears have, that way. They've yes. turned around and said, well, hey, if you're going to push back on fines, we have a list of all your merchants that are doing these programs. So we're going to send our our little private uh, private police force out and uh, right and check on all these merchants and see how many fines we can build up. Um, yeah. There was one one company I know of that ended up uh, getting fined well over a million dollars from that uh, one mm -hmm. of those efforts. So, um, yeah, it's very, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I think you know as as James pointed, not this James, but James Huber pointed out. Yeah. Uh, you know, lawsuit marks a significant turning point. You know, in the ongoing narrative, uh, potentially current, you know, carrying far-reaching implications for ISOs, merchants, and consumers. Because you know, one of the points that they made in this lawsuit that I thought was very interesting is by not allowing merchants to surcharge or offer cash discounts. Visa, in effect, is not allowing merchants to tell consumers how much it costs to take a Visa card. Well, that's exactly what it. I mean, there's yeah, there's yeah. no doubt at all, right? That's yeah. There, there is I mean, no. It's like oh, no well, it, it, you know, yeah, we don't want you to, you know, we right. just want you to to sit silent and take this cost. Right, and I think and you know, I think the the interesting thing to me is there's this argument on. Um, there's a counter argument to this that I hear from a lot of people in the industry when I when I talk about this is that. Um, you know, hey, it's the, the ISOs and sponsor banks have all agreed to these terms. You know, they're they're all in the contract uh, yeah, of these rules. But, but I I think that there's a point at which you can say, well, wait a second, what was the alternative? You know, it's almost mm -hmm. like getting a confession under duress. You know, it's like, right? What am I supposed to do? I'm in the payments industry. Visa rolls out new rules. I'm supposed to say no. What? Well, how? The, the, how but how the do other I do issue that? is too, James. The rules are so convoluted. They're so difficult to pin. You know, to right. to pin down. That makes that's another problem right there. Right. I right. Mean, and how so, can you follow rules that are ambiguous? Right. And and again, there there's there are fundamental, you know, protections in the in the US in terms of you know how far a private company can go. I mean, if I sign an agreement saying that, you know, this company can do something you know, I mean, like a really good example of this, I think, uh, Patty, would be you look at what's happened in kind of the, the merchant cash advance world and some of the mm -hmm. hard money lending, right? right? Where, you know, the 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 courts have come in and said, no, you, you can't. I don't care that they signed a contract that they're going to pay you 47 percent interest. Right. Not, right. That's, that's ridiculous. Can't that. You can't do that. And I think this is one of those same types of things where there's two questions in my mind. The first one is, do these rules push way too far into the rights of the merchant and the ISO uh, right. to a point where it's like, no, you're a private company. You're not a government agency. You actually mm -hmm. don't get to demand what a merchant gets to speak to their customer. No. Right. Um, right. And, the, and the other thing is, it's like, yeah, all these companies agreed to them. But what was the alternative? We're in the payments industry. What? We're supposed to not offer Visa? Like, come on, mm -hmm. this is crazy. Mer so I think there's like a, a duopoly, you know, uh, anti-competitive uh, thing here. Well, yeah. So, you know. And and I think it's also interesting that Visa's the one that's been making all this noise. It's not the other brands. Right. Right. They they're more than happy to sit back, I think, and let sit Visa sit back and let Visa take, take the black. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'll be very interested. I, I I'm, you know, I don't know. I, I think one thing that I think Visa has maybe not fully thought through or anticipated yet, in my opinion, is the blowback from the merchant. Um, you know, so far it's been the it's been the, the ISO industry because 
our industry has really protected the merchant from We're protecting the merchant, but I don't think the industry can continue protecting no. the merchant at this cost. No, and and, the, and what's happening now is more and more merchants that I talk to are like, look, I'm never going to get rid of this program. Like, you know, Why I'm would saving, I? You know, I, yeah. I, I, you know, it's funny. I actually did, made a uh, posting. It's going to go up on social media soon. But um, I, I went to a merchant location uh, recently, Patty, and the sign said, we add a 4% convenience fee to all credit and debit transactions. This is in addition to the regular price. Like the worst, most non-compliant sign I've ever seen in my life. You know what I mean? It was like, like it's not a convenience fee. You're adding it to debit. It's greater than 3% and it's greater than the regular price. I mean, it's oh, you, right. Oh, so, oh. so I, I know the owner and I just okay, was like, good. Hey man, like, you know what I mean? And right. I, I've hey, done I was, the same thing. Yeah. And I was like, Hey, you need to like, you know, this is a red flag. And I was like, Hey, just out of curiosity, like how long has this been here? And he's like three years. And no. I was like, and I said, how much pushback and, have you gotten from customers? And he said, none. Once every six months, somebody says, Hey, why are you charging me extra? And we waive the fee and move on. And he's like, hasn't hurt our business at all. Like, yeah, but all he needs guy, is one of those secret shoppers to stop. Well, I know, shop. I yeah. know, but my point is uh, that yeah. guy, and this is like a 20 location pizzeria. When Ooh. that when that guy gets that fine, and you know what I mean, he is oh yeah, gonna be, he is going to be he's going to be yeah, he's going to call his representative. Yep, it's going to be a problem. And the thing, the thing that Visa is not understanding is, you can go and push the ISOs all you want, but this train has already left the station a long time ago. And that's the point about interchange that they've never understood. They see it as an ISO issue or as a big merchant issue it's a mom and pop issue right right and they and, don't and see to... this as a mom and pop and those right. mom and pop merchants have got the ear of, of of their lawmakers yes they do and when they try to pull this back and they say hey no no you can't do this anymore you can't offer these types of programs to the merchant these merchants are going to have a fit and i already yes. can tell you there's been um, i had one recently um i was talking to a, a small iso and uh, he specializes in working with large uh, like restaurants and things. And they had a merchant that was ready to hire an attorney and sue Visa <laughs> over a fight. And the, and the you know, I started kind of talking to him down like, oh, let's, <laughs> oh yeah, let's, let's not. <laughs> let's just change your menu a little bit. And then let's just see how that goes. Right. But right? I'm telling you, they were like, look, we are we will not go back like we are. And so I think there's that kind of U.S. small business spirit there that's going to mm -hmm. be that, you mm -hmm. know, that's going to come into play here at some point. And I think Visa. You got how many millions of them, and there's only one yep. Visa. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But I, I really believe that differential pricing and this idea of charging different rates for different payment methods, it's here to stay. And yeah, so, I, 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 you know. yeah, that, that, like you said, that train left the station a couple of yeah. years ago. Yeah. So, well, good it's stuff. It's kind of funny, too, James. You know, I yeah. was at a, I guess it was about three years ago, I was at a, Maybe it was an e NEAA, one of the regional yeah. conferences, and they said, what do you think, you know, look the year ahead, what do you think the big deal is going to be? I said, dual pricing. Oh, no, no, no. Of course, yeah. it was a Visa and a MasterCard guy on the panel, so they, you know, and here we are, and it's like, yeah. Yep, yep, and, and you know, it's going to go further now. It's going to get into integrated payments, and it's going to be oh, a yeah. part of part of embedded payments moving forward and stuff. I mean, you're never going to, they're never going to get rid of it. It's, it's here to stay. So, well, definitely keep us posted on anything you hear about this. And again, sure we'll, we'll plan to have, uh, you know, James Huber and or Micah uh, Kinsler on the podcast coming up soon to talk about this uh, as well and give get their thoughts. That so. would be great. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. 
and we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.